0: Faith Epidemic, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. We are trucking right along in this wonderful historical narrative of the early church. And we've been talking about Pentecost. We saw the sermons. We saw the healing of the lame man. We saw the generous giving, the sharing, how they were gathering. We saw Ananias and Sapphira. And as we continue on in chapter 5, we pick up at verse 12. And at the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico or the porch. That's a part of the temple. But none of the rest dared to associate them. that's speaking of the multitudes of the crowds out there and they didn't want to associate uh, for a certain reason some of them with the believers And However, the people held them in high esteem and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. What an amazing passage of scripture. What an amazing narrative so far as we're just kind of witnessing and reading through the occurrences of this first century church and the early believers. I've titled this message Faith Epidemic Now. This comes, this title, from uh, a lot from a a book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. I'm going to reference that a lot throughout this particular message. In terms of a theme or an idea that he um, put forth in his book, The Tipping Point. And this word epidemic normally has a negative connotation to it or association, right? You think of like diseases like HIV, Ebola or other things that have adverse negative effects op- upon people. And there's like an outbreak. You ever watched that movie years ago, Outbreak, and they're quarantining people and you know, things like that. And so whenever we think epidemic or like a pandemic, which is worldwide epidemic, we think of something negative, something disease oriented, and so I simply put epidemic in the Google search bar and I hit enter. And if you don't know now, they give you definitions in Google. Google, they actually use the Oxford Dictionary for their kind of standard first definition that they give you in the search results. And this is the definition of Oxford or the Google search. A widespread occurrence of an infectious disease in a community at a particular time. Okay? And so they use that negative association. Now, Merriam-Webster takes a little bit more of a generic approach. And they pull back a little bit, and this is what they say. Affecting or tending to affect a disproportionately large number of individuals within a population, community, or region at the same time. And so they're not saying it's positive or negative, just that it's affecting a lot of people in the same area at the same time. And for this message, I I choose to use this generic, more of a a neutral definition of epidemic, and I want to apply it to what we're seeing in the church, what we read over these first chapters of the book of Acts. And it is truly an epidemic, meaning that there is an outbreak happening and the epicenter of this outbreak is Jerusalem. And when you peel it back even more you find a cluster of people you peel it back even more you find a group of disciples you peel it back even more you have an inner circle of disciples and you peel that back and you find that these individuals spent some time with Jesus and from that after his ascension into heaven it started to circle and broaden and it just started to ripple all over Judea ultimately in the book of Acts through Samaria and then of course to the farthest parts of the earth it's an epidemic, a pandemic of faith that we're beginning to see in this wonderful book. So my examples of epidemics on the disease side of it. I mentioned Ebola or HIV. I don't know if you knew, one of the most disastrous in terms of death toll epidemics in human history is the early Spanish influenza of, the, of like 1918 to 1920. And 500 million people were infected with the flu during this particular time. And 50 to 100 million people died because of H1N1. That is pretty amazing to kind of get your mind around. We haven't seen stuff like that since. And up until that point, I mean, at least what was documented, this is one of the most devastating DISEASES IN HUMAN HISTORY. And of recently, thinking about epidemics, maybe you think of Zika, right? Like in from Brazil and uh, babies that were born with the smaller heads. And, you know, the Rio Olympics kind of coincided with this outbreak of, of Zika and suddenly travel and all these athletes didn't want to go down to South America because of the potential of being infected by this disease. And so uh, it's a recent scare for us. I mean, the World Health Organization recently, late last year, 2016, took it off of that kind of emergency emergency list which actually raised the eyebrows of a lot saying you know that's going to take the radar down a little bit but still it's affecting a lot of people okay it's an, it's an epidemic and so understanding the book of acts and what we've been reading and overlaying this idea of epidemic i want to reference as i've mentioned this book the tipping point by malcolm gladwell if you haven't read this I definitely uh, recommend it. It's a bestseller. It ranks real high in ratings. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. And so in this particular book, he talks about this idea of a tipping point of when something all of a sudden was kind of cruising along in a neutral way or maybe even on a decline. But suddenly something happened and it tipped over and began to explode. The mainstream uh, around the world, it started to gain a lot of traction really fast. And Gladwell, he points out three important characteristics of an epidemic. And the first characteristic that he talks about is that it's contagious, that there's an element of contagiousness to it. And so where an individual or a small number of people do something or have an idea and suddenly that is contagious to the people that they are in contact with. That suddenly I wear a certain color and then I have a contagiousness to Henry or to somebody else and they start to wear a certain color and then they, oh, that's a nice color. I've never thought about wearing that. And suddenly it's just growing and growing. And not just that, you can think about actions, like certain behaviors, how it can be contagious. And so the first idea of epidemic is that it's contagious in nature. The second characteristic is that little things can have big consequences, large effects. And uh, a very small number of people can have a disproportionate effect or I mean cause upon a large number of people. And that is how an epidemic starts when somebody is sick. I mean, as soon as you start to have kids, you realize that like schools are like basins of disease, right? Because they're like these young toddlers that go off into school. Their immune system hasn't been tested yet because they've been home, right? And suddenly they're off and they're in the small classroom of 8 to 12 or 15 and, and they come home pretty much immediately within the first couple of weeks with a sickness, a runny nose. Whenever you have a toddler, it seems to be that they have a perpetual runny nose because they're constantly in contact with other kids. And so that's how disease works, Right? through airborne, like sneezing, or different types of contact. It goes from one individual to another. And so if I, uh, as a person, I mean, actually this is uh, not embarrassing, but when I was in the eighth grade, I started to get these, like, a couple of red bumps, and I was like, man, I got all these mosquito bites, right? uh, I was just so itchy, and I didn't think anything of it. I didn't tell my parents or anything, and I just went to school. And I realized later that I had infected multiple people in my class with the chicken pox. And uh, it was quite sad for, for them. And I did stay home from school after I realized that it was chicken pox. But that's how it works, that one person is infected with something. If they're in contact with five people, and it can spread to those five people, And each one of those five are in contact with another five. Just two steps out, you have the five plus 25. You have 30 people already that are exposed to a disease in just two steps. You take it another step and you multiply it by five more. You can see how it widens very quickly. And so contagiousness coupled with a little event, a little cause... Has a tremendous effect. That's how epidemics work. And the last characteristic is that change happens at dramatic moments, meaning that it's not just a gradual change and, and slow incline to success. That most successes happened because there was gradual faithfulness, right? We were plugging away, but suddenly there was a moment, a dramatic period of time where it began to take off. And it was as though the amount of work that I'm putting in, it was the same before as it is now. But suddenly that the effect of what I am doing with my effort now has an exponential return. And so it's a dramatic moment where it begins to take off and it crosses that. And what Gladwell says that this dramatic moment is, he calls that the tipping point. And as we look at the Bible, the book of Acts, what we've been reading so far, I want to overlay this idea with the epidemic of faith in the church. And I began to ask myself some questions, kind of using these particular categories of contagiousness, little things, and dramatic moments. And I began to ask the question, the contagious ideas or behaviors of the early church, what were they? What were they? And I just began to go back to the book of Acts from the first chapter. And as I was just perusing through again, as we've studied this over the last couple of months, I began to uncover at least a couple of them, a few of them. The first being a spirit of repentance, meaning that there was a turning to Jesus, that He was the, the way to be forgiven of sins and that there was this repentance that was happening and it was becoming widespread, that many, many people were turning to Jesus in, in the book of Acts. One of the second things that I, that I saw was selflessness. Selflessness. And we've seen this, right? That they were selling their possessions, that they were selling their homes and their lands, and they were bringing that money to the church and saying, if there's a need amongst any, let's use this. And so there was this great selflessness, that they were sharing meals from house to house, and that they were, there was such an openness, an open door policy, so to speak, amongst the early believers. What's mine is yours. And the third thing that we see is that there were signs and wonders. I mean, people were being healed. A man of 40 years being lame was healed. And not just that, we're seeing it by the hundreds, if not thousands of individuals that were being healed just in these early portions of the book of Acts. And so in terms of contagiousness, what were those things that were spreading? I think repentance was spreading. I think selfless living was spreading, and I think a belief and an experience of signs and wonders was spreading. This was contagious, that my uncle got healed of his disease, and suddenly that perked the interest, and I know this person that's sick, or maybe I'm sick, and it brought other people to the church. It was spreading in that way. And so, in terms of the next category, what were the little causes in the early church that had these great effects. And I'll list some for you. I see regular gatherings. Right from chapter 1 onward we see that after Jesus ascended into the sky these believers they went back to Jerusalem and found an upper room and it says they continually prayed there. And not just prayer meetings. We see them studying the word together. We see them breaking bread together. Worshipping together. Just just living life together, that there were regular gatherings and prayer, that they had all things in common. And I don't know how many times this idea is reiterated just in these early chapters. They were sharing with the needy. They were breaking bread together. And just a general spirit of gladness and sincerity is what is recorded for us. That when you were a part of this group, you you saw these little tiny things that they enjoyed the company of one another, that they gathered together, they read the scripture together, they prayed together, they worshiped together, they ate together, and just in general, there was sincerity. That as they gave, they weren't trying to, to up one another, at least, you know, apart from Ananias and Sapphira. But there was this sincerity and gladness that was just prevalent in this early community. And these, I see, are the impactful little things of the early church. And so the the next one is, what are those dramatic moments? And so contagiousness, repentance, selflessness, signs and wonders, it was just spreading like wildfire in the early church. They did those small things, and the dramatic moments, I see, are Pentecost, right the giving of the Holy Spirit, and Peter's sermon that really set the stage for the church, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit is given. Everybody's startled to thinking, what in the world is going on? Are these guys drunk? And Peter stands up in front of thousands of people and he declares this message of God's work throughout history, how it resulted in Jesus and how people must turn to Jesus for salvation, 3,000 people that day are added to the church. It's a dramatic moment that really shifted the leadership of Peter, of all the apostles, and also the expectation of the multitudes to the church and the apostles. It was such a phenomenal occurrence. It was a dramatic moment that what happened after this moment, I mean, if you think about it, Peter and the apostles, they gave plenty of testimony of Jesus in the years preceding this, in the months leading up to this. But suddenly from this moment on, whenever Peter and the apostles spoke the message, there was a gravitation, a pull towards that that was unlike the previous previous messages that were delivered. The second thing that I see is the healing of that 40 year old man. This man was lame for 40 years since birth in front of this beautiful gate of the temple. One day, Peter and John walk by, see the man. Everybody else just passes by and something pulls these two to this guy. And says, I don't got money, but what I do have I give you in Jesus' name. Lifting him up by the hand, his ankles strengthen and he leaps and he begins to praise God. And the whole temple's turned upside down, right? Everybody's talking about it, not just in the temple, but in the surrounding area. It was big news. It was viral. It was spreading like fire in dry brush. It was just going. And everybody was talking about it to the point where all of the high priests had to gather the next day to say, what in the world is going on? What is this ruckus? And they put Peter and John in the middle and they begin to reprimand them. They jail them overnight. They say, Speak no more in this name. It was a huge thing. The healing of this man. And the last thing that I'll... At least up until now, right? Of where we're reading in chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira's deception and death. That is a huge occurrence. Because it says there was such a fear that spread. A healthy type of fear that spread in that community. I mean... As people were living this selfless type living life and just bringing the proceeds of their possessions and lands to the church and suddenly this couple was caught that God gives a word of knowledge to Peter as this money was being delivered and Ananias falls dead right there. Sapphira comes hours later, falls dead right there. And as these young men are carrying these bodies out and burying them, and people are witnessing what has just happened, they're like, man, this faith thing is a serious thing. That believing in God and following Jesus, I guess it's not just something casual. And this event and occurrence began to just spread a message so powerfully. And it altered the way people lived and gave. And just in our early chapters, I see these dramatic moments that really set a new course, a powerful just explosion of the church in this first century. And so let me outline a couple of lessons. The first lesson of this particular passage and message is that faith is contagious. Let us never underestimate the influence of our lives, of my faith. That when I live out my faith each day in the home, wherever I go, that there is a contagiousness, an influence that is inherent within my life. That when I go, to uh, the workplace, when I go to a public place, when I interface with friends or strangers or family, that there is an influence of my life. And so when I have faith in Jesus and I uphold the values of Scripture, that is contagious that when I live in a way that honors the Lord and is generous or loving and patient and kind and full of faithfulness and self-control, when I live this way, it is contagious to the people that I interact with. Let us never underestimate the influence of our lives. That wherever we go, that there is an influence there. That God has set us up that way. Faith, my life, is contagious that To kind of look at it the other way, right? I can't give somebody the flu if I don't have the flu, right? It just doesn't work that way. Likewise, I can't share a passion and a love for Jesus if that passion and love is not first present in my life. And so if faith is contagious, it must be present first, of course. And to know that where God sends me, that I have influence in those pockets, The second lesson that I want to talk about is that my life, faith, and actions make a difference. This is kind of aligned with the first one, right? That uh, the, the difference that I make, even though I am one individual, can be profound. A simple perusal of Scripture, old and new, that there are numerous people in the Bible that had a small view of themselves. Whether it be David from the smallest family, the youngest brother, right? Whether it be Ruth or Paul or Mary. All of these individuals had a small view of who they were in their society, in their surroundings. And somehow these small individuals were able to be elevated by the hand of God and had an influence that is Uncommon. That should not be the case. You take David, the youngest of eight brothers, that guy should not have been selected by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. There were seven other well-qualified young men that could have sat upon that throne, and yet God chose the youngest and ruddiest of them all. The influence of Ruth, or you take another, look at Mary A young teenage girl that was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. A virtual unknown before this. I mean, she was probably known by her relatives and her little town. And now the entire world over, throughout every generation, sing praises of her name. And the place that she has in history. You look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, we're talking about a guy that should not have had the influence that he did. Wherever we go in Scripture, we see small individuals that have made a phenomenal difference. And so if my faith is contagious, I must know that my little life can make a big difference. In the Old Testament, in one of the prophets, Zechariah, he was recording of a time when The temple of God was in ruins, and Zerubbabel was one of the leaders uh, that was in charge of the rebuilding of the temple of God. And there is a verse in there that offers so much insight, and it's 410. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And up until this point, again, the temple had been in ruins for years. And as we saw this temple, just in this deplorable state, you can look at that and say, man, what is that? Nothing will ever happen there. You cannot rebuild that. And the word goes out and says, don't despise these humble, small beginnings of this work that is about to begin. Because God, He rejoices in the work that you're about to see. That Though it's small now, though it's insignificant, overlooked, and everybody is just kind of just laughing at this cause. Wait, God rejoices in this. That He desires to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand and the rebuilding of this Marvelous thing. And in one of the commentaries about this particular passage in Zechariah, Spurgeon, he says, To me it seems that it should be your glory to join the poorest and weakest churches of your denomination. And wherever you go to say this little cause is not as strong as, it should, as I should like it to be, but by the grace of God, I will make it more Influential. At any rate, I will throw in my weight to strengthen the weak things of Zion, and certainly I will not despise the day of small things. Where would have been our flourishing churches of today if our forefathers had disdained to sustain them while they were yet in their infancy? And as Spurgeon was looking upon the churches of the land in front of him, and as he was serving the history of each and every one of them, he would say, yes, how can we look lightly upon the, the small things, the small congregations and churches that are so weak and poor now? And he had this eye, as he was looking at this particular passage in Zechariah, that we ought not despise those days of small beginnings, those early infant days. And so faith is contagious. That my little life, faith in actions, it can make a difference and it can make a big one. But the last thing that I'd say is this that we ought to let God create those dramatic moments. That there is only a certain amount of effort that can manufacture those things. I mean, you might be able to market really, really well and get something from nothing and get it to explode but in the realm of god's work that there needs to be a divine hand behind it that there needs to be the work the power and the presence of god behind those individuals in that group that god needs to create those moments that define an organization or a community of people. And it's not about a cluster of people trying harder, saying, you know, we got to do this, and so let's do this, and so we're going to make it happen. There is an element of personal diligence there. But church work is not about diligence first. Church work is about faith in God first. The primary preeminence of the presence of God in my life and in that space of upholding Him as supreme, of living for His glory and inviting Him into the work of our hands. From that space, great and dramatic things can happen that the faithfulness that was just slow and steady, that God can say, now is the time, and He begins to pour gasoline over that little match. And it begins to have an effect that is disproportionate to the amount of energy, the number of people, and the quote-unquote greatness of the idea. That it has an effect that far outweighs that. And that we simply need to be faithful to the process and to the little things. I wanted to close with three statements primarily found in the book that I had mentioned by Gladwell, The Tipping Point, but how that powerfully overlays again with this message. The first is this. In regards to contagiousness, that a small number of people when they start acting differently things can happen to mention one of the things that gladwell stated in the book was i don't know if you some of you are old enough to know hush puppies right it was just a form of footwear in the 90s and how just a small number of people in a certain portion of new york suddenly started to wear what nobody was wearing and was pretty much on the decline for this company. And suddenly a designer caught on, wanted to include that, and suddenly from a a handful of young folks in a small part of New York, it became a worldwide trend within a matter of years. Now, uh, the cause of those few number of, of folks there and the effect that it had you really can't draw a straight line there. I mean, there is something that says, what it doesn't make sense. But that's the power of contagiousness, of saying one person infecting five, and those five infecting five more, those infecting five more, and soon. It doesn't take many steps to get to a million. It doesn't take many steps to get to a billion when we think of this idea of contagiousness. And in regards to dramatic moments, and we ought to abandon that expectation of proportionality to say that because I put in uh, five blocks of energy, I will reap another five blocks of energy that, of course, you know, I put in a good day's work. I get a good day's wage. Right. And there is that element of faithfulness, of course, to our daily lives. But when thinking about what's happening in the book of Acts and how the church is exploding and one message suddenly like thousands of people are responding that we need to understand that in God's economy it's not just about proportionality. That he can take small faith and pay big dividends. And the last quote that I'll give to you is that almost nothing had changed, but everything had changed. As the praise team comes back, I want to end on this particular idea. And Gladwell mentioned something in the book, and he was talking about his old family dog and the first time this dog had experienced snowfall. And it was you know a cold winter night, and he was talking about that look that he, he found on his, on his pet's face. And the previous night, it might have been 34 degrees, he would recall. But on that night, it was 31 degrees. To your natural self, the night before, and that particular night, there wasn't really much of a difference in temperature from 34 to 31. So almost nothing had changed from the night before, but everything had changed. Because you crossed an important threshold, 32 degrees. That you can drop 10 degrees from, from 45 to 35 and it makes not much difference. But you drop 3 degrees from 35 to 32 and it makes all the difference. And so when you cross that point, that small incremental shift at key moments makes a big difference. What was happening in the early church that suddenly resulted in this explosion? I mean, what happened? Peter was the same guy. He had that same bullheaded mentality that denied Jesus and yet was a leader of the church. What happened in his life? What switched? What crossed over? What makes it that when it's 34 degrees and raining, that there are a few accidents, but when it's 31 and snowing, that there is a thousand accidents? That small little shift has such a dramatic difference in the outcome when you cross it. And so now applying to myself, yourself, our faith. What happens when I look upon a person with just a little bit more patience? What happens when I cross that threshold? Whereas I try to be patient and suddenly they're always rubbing me the wrong way. But I cross a threshold and it wasn't much. But suddenly I look at them differently. What happens when I cross a threshold of courage? What happens when I cross a threshold of worship preparation and prayer? What happens when I cross a threshold of vulnerability in my singing to God? What happens when I cross a threshold of giving myself to the Lord? What happens when I cross a threshold of openness to the Spirit? What happens when I cross a threshold of love? of kindness, of self-control. And we think up until now, I've been trying to control myself. I've been trying to love others. I've been trying to have faith. And we haven't seen much of a difference. But all I say is don't give up on that. you just got to cross that important threshold. And once you do, not much change, but everything will change. And I believe that for our lives. I believe that for our church. That we need to cross that threshold that dramatic moment, that tipping point. And when we do, we will see that proportionality is not all there is, that there is something greater to the hand of God for us collectively and for us as individuals. Amen? Amen.